Hello and welcome to Not Another Business Podcast, where we break down business news and cultural events according to rules we've entirely made up. I'm KJ Miller, ex-corporate consultant and current CEO and co-founder of Minted Cosmetics. And I'm Daniela Dektar McCarthy, ex-corporate lawyer and current general counsel at Ness. And fun fact, KJ and I have been friends since our Harvard Acapella days because we are that cool folks. Disclaimer before we start the show, the views we express today are our own and not those of our companies. Today on the show, we are talking all about the publishing industry and the startup that's using BookTok to give the industry a makeover. Yeah, you know, I came across this startup today while I was reading Business Insider. And as you know, I've been wanting to talk about the book publishing industry for a while. So this felt like a great excuse for us to dive in because these guys launched, it's my understanding, they just launched last month and they really are trying to take a brand new approach to book publishing that's centered all around influencers. Um, So I thought that was pretty interesting and gives us a good excuse to, to chat about this industry. Yeah, I think we've both talked about um, our fantasies, some more fantastical than others, about writing a book. And I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if this gets me closer to it. Like, do I just need to cozy up to an influencer, which maybe is an easier (laughs) task than writing a good book? I I don't know. But I'm excited if that's the case. So I feel like we should dive in, and we will do that right after our shameless plug. All right, Danny, what are you plugging this week? I am very excited to plug this podcast's very own Patreon. Every month, we will be giving subscribers a extra episode called NABP After Dark. Listeners might remember our preview episode on the Lizzo scandal last month. We will be coming out with an extra episode next week. So go to patreon.com slash NABP and subscribe and get the additional fill of our podcast that we all know you need. Love it. And with that, let's get back to the show. Okay, it's time for Flashback Friday. In this segment, we look at a prior episode topic and give you a brief update. KJ, what are we flashing back to today? Well, it is a flashback to last week's episode on Instacart because, as I texted you, Fast Company recently released an article titled, Instacart is only profitable because of its annoying ads, which I thought was an interesting headline because, you know, you and I were talking about how smart it was and how smart these ads are for their business. And yes, they are helping them reach profitability. But ads help a lot of tech companies reach profitability. So I thought um, it was kind of an interesting headline. But more interesting, actually, is this quote from the article that I want to get your take on. They say, while its ad business is reportedly up 24% in the first half of this year, actual delivery orders in that time frame are essentially flat. Moreover, the core delivery service is actually a lower margin business than advertising. Thus, one critique is that Instacart's profitability may now depend too much on advertising, potentially a problem if the relatively fledgling enterprise doesn't pay off as well as brands expect, or if Instacart's actual user base flags. Or, of course, if advertisers pull back spending more broadly and get pickier about which platforms they use. So the author of the article seems to be suggesting, yes, you know, they're profitable and ads are contributing to that profitability, but they think the business is too dependent on ads. And this might actually be signaling that the core business isn't strong enough. So what is your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think this gets at one of the issues we touched on last week, which was that competition is heating up, right? Walmart delivery is getting bigger. Kroger, even though it is a partner for Instacart, is launching its own delivery service. So we asked that question, you know, if if the company is so dependent on ads, but ultimately users are lessening, will advertisers be less willing to put as much into Instacart, right? They might have to instead have the same dollars and want to spread it across Instacart and now Kroger and now Walmart. Um, So I think that's a very real concern. Um, Maybe I feel like defending Instacart because I talked about being bullish about this. But I think what Instacart would say is we're only getting started on other aspects of our business 
that is more diversified, for example, you know, some of the more the more interesting enterprise offerings mm-hmm. that they have launched after some recent AI and tech acquisitions. And I personally am excited for that future of shopping. And so, you know, I still think that there's a lot of promise to this IPO and to this company. Um, but yes, competition will heat up and and advertising revenue might decrease. But I, I think they have done enough where I wouldn't say it seems like they are totally dependent on that, you know? Yeah. And I don't yeah. see that that part of the business just like diminishing entirely, right? Like I still right. think ad revenue will be a key part of its revenue. Yeah, and you what know, you I, I agree with that take. I also just think like what this points out is the importance for any business of having multiple revenue streams because you are going to experience periods where one stream might be up, another stream might be flat or might be down. It just, I think, goes to emphasize the importance of diversification and showcases that the guys, these guys have been thoughtful about that, right? Like their orders are flat, but their revenue is up and their profitability is up. So I think that that means they're doing something right, not doing something wrong. Now, yes, I understand the critique that maybe that means ads have become too important. I mean, we did see what happened with Facebook when people stopped spending as much on ads. Obviously, that really shook up their business. But Facebook relies almost entirely on advertising for its revenue, right? So these guys do not. As we spoke about in the episode, it makes up about a quarter of their overall revenue. So I don't know. I understand what this author is saying, but I don't think it's time to sound the alarm bells yet. I still think that this... Um, their advertising business is a smart one. Um, they're going after high intent, you know, shoppers, which makes sense. That makes their ads more um, attractive to these brands, you know, versus just advertising on, for instance, Google paid search. Um, so I don't know. I don't think it's time to sound the alarm bells. I do get what they're saying, but I still think this is a, a smart business and I'm still bullish as well. On to our main topic. We are talking about book publishing and the new approach to publishing that Bindery, that's the startup we're we're honing in on today, is taking. KJ, hit us with the facts. Okay, so as I mentioned at the top, you know, I've been wanting to do an episode about the publishing industry for a while, both because I think it's fairly fascinating and, like you mentioned, I have a selfish reason because I do want to uh, write a book. And in fact, I've actually started working on that book. So I think I'm less in the fantasy territory because mm-hmm. I have. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Didn't mean to offend. It's, it's a fantasy <laughs> for me. It's real for you. Um, so, you know, I, now who knows how long it's going to take me, but I have begun. Um, and so I am very interested in this industry. And also, I've always heard how difficult it is to get published as a first-time author. So when I heard about this startup trying to change that, I thought, all right, great, perfect time for us to dive in. Um, And so I'm actually going to break down the facts into three different sections. First, I want to talk about the traditional book publishing model, because I think to understand how Bindery is different, it's helpful to first understand how the current system works. Then I want to jump into Bindery, this startup that we've been talking about, and their sort of new approach to book publishing. And then I did some investigative journalism. Uh, So I would like to call on one of my sources who is an author, um, an accomplished author, and who went the traditional route um, and, you know, sort of get her take on both the traditional model and um, this new influencer-led model. So that's how we're going to break down the facts. Does that sound good to you? This sounds phenomenal for a couple of reasons. One, again, because it's more fantasy for me than real project, (laughs) I feel like I have a lot to learn about the traditional book model. I want Mm -hmm. to understand it. Um, But two, I feel like your investigative journalism is, you know, superior, really Mm -hmm. superior. (laughs) I'm telling you. And (laughs) so I'm just excited to see what you've unearthed from Mm -hmm. this friend of yours. I mean, just, I can't wait. I can't wait. Let's start. (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's do it. So let's start with the traditional book model. 
if you are, and we'll, we'll use you as an example, <clears throat> if mm-hmm. you want to, except in, in this example, you're going to have to be writing a fiction book because I am going to be focusing. I'm writing a fiction book. Oh, you are? I'm writing oh. a fiction. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a spy oh. novel. Oh, I love, oh, right. Yeah, oh, yes, you have told me about this concept. Okay. Um. All right, so we'll use you, all right? <clears throat> now, okay. let's say you are, you want to get published for your spy novel. Obviously, the first step of the process, regardless of which model you're going down, is writing the book and that is because you're a fiction writer this is one of the key differences between fiction and nonfiction. if you're writing a nonfiction book you can often get um, published with just a proposal or get a book deal with just a book proposal now it's got to be a pretty in-depth proposal right it's not just like the title and some ideas on paper it includes a few chapters it includes a summary it includes an outline so on and so forth but if you are a first-time fiction writer you've got to write the whole book okay like soup to nuts right and the reason you have to write the whole book is because agents will not agree to even look at your manuscript if it is not complete before it gets to them Um, so that is step one and of course that step can take you several months it can take you several years it can take you several decades but that is step one regardless of whether we're in the current system or the new system Okay, that's unfortunate for me. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Just buckle up. You are going to need to write that whole book. (laughs) Um, Question. Mm -hmm. If I'm a nonfiction writer but a nobody... Yeah. Do I still get to get away with just a proposal or a few chapters? Or do you think if I'm a nobody, I need to write the whole book? Um, It is my understanding that even as a nobody, which I would argue from a literary perspective, I am... I could still get a book deal with just a proposal. But again, the proposal is pretty robust. Like I've started my proposal. Mm -hmm. It took me just to get to a draft of the proposal, like one that I felt comfortable sort of like getting people's feedback on. That took me many months and I'm and it's Mm -hmm. not done. I'm basically once I got the feedback was like, oh, okay, let me start over. So now I'm in (laughs) (laughs) draft two several months later. Um, So it is still quite robust, but it is also still a proposal and yes it is my understanding even as a nobody you you can get um if you're nonfiction, you can get a deal with just a proposal so that is step one now step two is getting an agent and like i said agents are not even going to look at your manuscript if it isn't finished and also publishers are not going to look at your manuscript if you don't have an agent okay so this is step two you've got to find an agent and in order to do this you essentially just start sending out your manuscripts or sending out queries to agents. So this a query is basically an email that says like who you are, what the book is, why it's great, why they're going to love it. And you typically will um, attach like the first chapter of your book um, in your query. Right. And, mm-hmm. and the hope is that some one of the agents that you send to and you, you are sending to dozens, probably hundreds of agents trying to get this thing um, picked up that one of them will ask you to, you know, see the full thing from your query. And again, this part of the process can also take several months or even years. And there's, you know, there's no guarantee that an agent is going to be interested in your book. Right. Right. I can imagine there are probably tiers of agents, some that are more prestigious than others, some that don't even look at first time offer authors, you know, others that are maybe more junior in their own career as an agent who are willing to like read more from Mm -hmm. just like cold send-ins right Mm -hmm. Mm um yeah so that makes it seems very challenging it's very very challenging i mean this agents truly are the gatekeepers of the the publishing world and i was looking at some stats like trying to figure out like what what is your chances here of getting accepted so from what i read agents receive thousands of queries a year it's estimated that they ask to read the full manuscript of one to 10% of their queries. And from there that they agree to represent again, one to 10% mm. of the manuscripts that they read. So if I'm an, I'm an agent, if I'm getting a thousand queries a year, I might ask to read a hundred of them, right? Maybe. Mm-hmm. And of the hundred that I read, I might agree to represent 10 of them. 
So mm-hmm. we're talking about, you know, a really, really small percentage. That said, there are lots of agents. Like there are databases of agents out there. There, there, there are a lot of them. So, you know, you, you get to go up to the bat several times, but for any one agent, the chances of them taking your manuscript is, is, is really, really small. Yeah, already I wonder, like, how important is it to know someone who's in this world who can vouch for you, like, who's already an author, right? Like, how Extremely. much are you your author friends? And um, I'm lucky to have a couple author friends as well. Like, how much do, am I going to need to rely on them? Okay, okay. Yeah. Also, I'm thinking that, like, there's always that pitch, right? There's that one line pitch of your summary of your book, just like same thing for writing a screenplay. Like how important is that one line pitch, right? To like um, well, grab that, someone's attention. Yeah, and that's really where the query comes in um, because that email, you know, a lot of times these guys aren't even bothering to look at your chapter summary, right? Mm-hmm, that you sent over. Mm-hmm. Like you've got to grab them in the email. And to your question around how important is it to know someone, extremely important because again, these guys aren't, you know, if, if 1% of the queries are even making it um, past them, it helps a lot if you know someone and if someone, an author that they already trust or an, or an agent they already trust says, hey, this isn't really my type of book, but I know this person, I can vouch for this person or I, I like their writing or whatever, you should give it a look. That's obviously just going to help you out just like in, in, in any industry. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, connections, networking, you can never yeah. escape it. Okay. All right. So you're one of the lucky, the lucky few who mm-hmm. have landed an agent. What yes. happens? So now that you've got your agent, your agent then tries to get your book sold to a publisher, right? And so this step does have a higher success rate because presumably your agent has done this before, right? Like that is why they're an agent. They have relationships with these publishers. They have successfully sold books. So your success rate, your clearance rate at this point does get higher. From what I've read, um, the really successful or really well-known agents can have a clearance rate of over 50%, right? So the majority of the books that they're pitching are getting sold to a publisher. Um, Whereas if you're a newer agent or you're repping, a niche, a book niche that isn't that well known, your success rate might be more like 10 to 30%. And this is why, you know, one of the things that um, authors will do is they will really look at the agents that they're reaching out to. Like, yes, you want to cast a wide net, but you want that net to be consisting of agents who have sold books like yours before, agents who have sold books for um, good deals, right? Like Mm -hmm. people who know what they're doing, because if you get a good agent, again, your chances of success really increase. Yeah, I mean, going from having a 1% chance of someone looking at your stuff and then a 1% chance of agreeing to rep you after they looked at your stuff to having at worst like a 10% chance of a deal. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a big difference. So getting the agent is is that's when you can pop some champagne. Yeah, so getting the agent is a huge, huge deal. Once you actually, if your agent is successful, right, so they've sold your book to, let's say, um, Random House or, or Penguin, now, obviously, things are looking up because you've gotten a book deal. Um, that said, your work is not done at this point because oftentimes publishers are still going to expect you, even though their job is to promote and market your book, they are still expecting you to promote and market your book. So it's not as Mm -hmm. if like the book is sold and your job is done. You are still on the hook for, you know, utilizing your network and, you know, putting yourself out there, so on and so forth. Um, That said, a big, a big part of what a publisher is doing once they agree to buy your book is to promote your book. So they'll put some amount of budget behind it. And then they'll go out there. They might book you on book tours. They might, um, you know, splash, try and get you booked on Good Morning America and Today Show to talk about your book, so on and so forth. But that's a lot of what they do, because obviously at this point now they've made a deal. um, And so they've put money into getting it printed. Potentially they've given you an advance. So they want to make that money back. So they've they've got to promote the book. And that's what they do. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, at this point, they haven't earned anything off of you, right? Right. Exactly. (laughs) So this is where their money kicks in. Okay. Makes sense. So that is the traditional 
model. If that's that's what you would need to go do, if you want to get this spy book published today, you, you got to write it, you got to find an agent, you got to sell your book to a publisher, and then they've got to promote it so that you can start earning royalties. That's mm-hmm. model one. Oh, it's long. Okay. Okay. All right. What <laughs> What is the like innovative way that Bindery is changing things? What's their model? Okay. So first of all, what is Bindery? Let's start there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, I am going to read how they describe themselves on their website. It's binderybooks.com. Um, and I'm just going to apologize in advance because it's kind of a long description, which I think highlights how kind of complicated this this model is. So here's what they say. Bindery is a membership platform that helps tastemakers of the book world cultivate their community, share their creativity, champion the authors and stories that matter to them, and earn a sustainable income doing so. We believe that tastemakers create tremendous value to the publishing industry through their deep connections with readers and that they deserve to take on a larger role in the publishing ecosystem. We help them do this by first offering a bookish membership platform that helps them earn sustainable income from the most passionate members of their audience. The most unique benefit we offer is that tastemakers with larger established communities upon invitation may opt to use a portion of their membership earnings to fund the publication of new books by authors their communities will love. Bindery then partners with the tastemaker to design their imprint, attract submissions for potential titles, and manage editorial design, printing, traditional marketing, and distribution to everywhere books are sold. So right off the bat, I got to ask you, did you understand that? Did that make sense to you? Do you now feel like you know how this Bindery Books works? Okay, I'm going to give you the the version of the model in Danny's words, and then you're going to tell me yes. if I if I get it or not. Okay, so I am a book talk influencer. Yes, tastemaker, what they're calling a tastemaker. Yes, and you know every week I'm putting up three or four novels that I just absolutely loved, and people are following me. Like I have I have a consistent followership on book talk right on my TikTok. Mm -hmm. so now i'm gonna say hey hey come join me on my platform at bindery and follow me there where i'm going to give you what i'm giving you on TikTok and maybe more or something Mm -hmm. i don't know for some reason you gotta want to come over to this platform but you Mm -hmm. come over to this platform and for Everyone who comes over, somehow I earn an income based on the number of people who I'm bringing over to this platform because presumably they're paying to be on the platform. Yes, they are paying you a monthly subscription fee. Okay, so interesting. I got to be giving them something else other than what I'm giving them on BookTok then because there they're following me for free. But okay, let's put that aside. So I'm giving them something (laughs) else Mm -hmm. (laughs) and people are paying me to be over there. Mm-hmm. And then if my community is big enough, Bindery's like, hey, Danny D, you have been invited to have your own imprint. Yes. And you get to choose who among your community has an idea for a good book and help them make it by giving them a portion of the money that you otherwise would have gotten though, right? So I'm, I'm okay, a cut of my income, I'm now giving to someone else to write the book. And then presumably if that book sells, I then also get a portion of that revenue, which is why I would be willing to give a portion of my income from the platform to help someone write a book. Is that how this works? Yes, you got almost all of it, except the person who's writing the book is still a an author with an agent. It's not just someone from your community. Uh, I mean, this, this person okay, could be in okay, your, okay. they could be in your community, right? But okay. they they're not still nobodies. Have... They are also someone with an agent. Okay. Yes. Now, okay, so you basically got it. So let me just kind of break it down even further. But you did basically get it here. So Bindery is all about the influencers or as they call them, tastemakers, right? Like they've really built this platform around these influencers. Um, And what they're doing is they're giving these influencers the ability to create a subscription membership for their community. So much like Patreon, shout Mm -hmm. out to NABP After Dark, uh, much like (laughs) Substack, like these these paid subscription communities, right? So this is that same sort of idea, but for people talking about 
books. And I will just note here, um, um, since we're talking about influencers of book talk, that um, the industry agrees that these guys are very important. Um, according to mm-hmm, publishers, mm-hmm. according to Publishers Weekly, unit sales of print adult fiction books were up eight and a half percent in 2022, it making it the only category to post an increase last year. And experts agree that book talk had a lot to do with this. Like people are, you know, revived in terms of their their desire to read books and read adult fiction um, largely because of these influencers. So there is sort of industry-wide agreement that these influencers have real power um, to shape what people are reading. Um, and so mm-hmm. this this startup, Bindery, is trying to sort of take that and harness that. Now, the way this works is if you're a part of the influencers paid community, you're paying somewhere between five and fifteen dollars a month. I think the influencer gets to decide the the, the tiers and what what you get for each tier. Um, mm-hmm. And essentially, you're getting exclusive content because, like you mentioned, if I'm already following you on TikTok, I'm already getting a lot of content for free. So what you're supposed to be getting as a part of Bindery is exclusive content. So this is what the site says. Membership benefits vary by tastemaker, but all will include exclusive content and community benefits. In addition to access to exclusive content, tastemakers who have publishing imprints will invite their community's participation in key publishing decisions, create Mm. opportunities to meet authors, and depending on the tier and time and membership, offer the ability to receive eBooks, early physical copies of new books, and special perks like getting your name in the acknowledgements page of books that you participated in. So those are some of the perks and some of the reasons why you would want to pay to be a part of this influencers community. So I'll stop there and just ask, how does that sound to you as, as the, the extra thing you would get for your $5 a month? You know, I don't follow too many like book talk influencers as it is, but I do feel like the book talk like reviews that I get served are very like brief. I don't know. I'm not sure. It's hard for me to envision what the additional exclusive content would be. I mean, maybe like a unique in-depth review. I could see it. I could see it. Um, There's no one I'm immediately ready to follow. Um, but I might not also be the target market because I'm not on BookTok all the time. Yeah. Um, it is interesting, the acknowledgements thing. Like, it's like a vanity producer, you know, type um, of perk. And I, mm-hmm. it's not something that I would care about, but I, I could definitely see people being into that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is It is quite, quite interesting. Now, to your point around um, what happens if this influencer gets an imprint, what they have to do mm-hmm. in terms of sharing their money. I will say Bindery, oh, you were gonna say something? Well, I was just gonna ask, is is there any indication how many or what percentage of tastemakers on Bindery will get their own imprint? That I have not seen. And I think they're being purposefully vague. Um, Now, I did see a report in an article saying that they are planning in their first year to have nine imprints. So nine different influencers with an imprint, by the way, we haven't defined that, but an imprint is is essentially like a small publishing brand. So you have like your Mm -hmm. your big, big publishing houses, the penguins of the world. But Penguin actually has several imprints underneath them. Each one might do a different type of book. They might have an imprint for children's books. They might have an imprint mm-hmm. for nonfiction. They might have a you know imprint for business, whatever. So these, an imprint is just a smaller publishing brand. So they're saying, if you're large enough of an influencer, you'll get your own imprint. And they have said they intend to have, I think, nine imprints for their first year. But I don't know what that's out of. I don't know if it's nine right. out of 100 influencers or nine out of 1,000 influencers. I don't know. Um, But in terms of the money, now this I did find interesting and you sort of called it out. Essentially, some percentage of the money that the influencer is making on their community page is going to go towards getting the title that they select printed. Now, I saw one article say that that percentage was 50%. I didn't see that confirmed on Bindery Books' website. So I maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. 
but you are supposed to, you know, be giving some percentage. And I don't know for how long, I don't know if every single year that you run this imprint, you have to give away a percentage to Bindery in order to get this book printed. Um, that is a little bit unclear to me, but the reason you'd be willing to do that is because you do get royalties from the mm. book's sales. So yes, you have to give up a little bit of your membership fee, but then on the back end, you get a percentage of the sales. Which, if the book is popular, should be much more than the membership fee you're giving up. Right. In theory. Yeah. In theory. Okay. So that's how the model works if you are the influencer. Now, let's talk about it from the perspective of an author. Like I mentioned, you still need to be an author with an agent. They have made that clear. They are not open to just like random submissions from any old body. They still need you to be someone represented by an agent. And then your agent comes to Bindery and pitches to Bindery um, for whichever imprints they think are going to be the most relevant to their, you know, their author. Um, so that part is the same. They're like, you got to write the book and you got to get an agent. That's the same. However, if you are picked up by one of these imprints, you get a guaranteed $10,000 book advance and 50% of the net royalties, which Bindery claims equates to over 2x standard per book earnings for authors. Now, I will just note here, I did ask um, my source about whether or not this seemed like a good deal to her. And she said, LOL, no, a $10,000 book advance is not a good advance. So mm -hmm. um, it seems pretty clear to me that when they say your earnings will be 2x the standard rate, they're really referring to the 50% of net royalties. But again, another thing I learned from my source is not everyone gets to the point of making royalties, right? Because when your book is selling, you don't start earning those royalties until after the publisher is paid back, right? Like paid back for the cost of printing and distributing your book. Once that's paid back, then you get into royalty territory. So it's not as if this person is earning royalties on every single book paid or, or, or book sold. So you get your $10,000 advance. That could be all you make for the book, which is why that's interesting. Say that's why people fight for bigger upfront advances because you don't know if there's going to be anything beyond the advance. So you want to fight for what you can get up front. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize that, you know, everyone who is entitled to some royalties at some point and with respect to the sale of a book doesn't just get it evenly according to a certain percentage split, you know, like as, mm -hmm. as the sales occur. I didn't realize that publishers basically recoup their costs first and then authors get paid like yep. more. I didn't realize that. That's um, shitty. <laughs> well, and so that's why, you know, um, the response was, LOL, no, 10,000 is not a good deal. And so right. I, I think that's interesting. But I did also look up to see if that 50% split is higher than normal. And it is. So assuming you make it to the point where you're starting to earn royalties, a 50% split of net royalties is is good. So you know, I, I think Bindery is kind of having their cake and eat it, eating it too. They also, as far as I, the way I read the wording of guaranteed $10,000 was, it's $10,000 no matter what. However, mm -hmm. there is an interpretation where it's guaranteed minimum $10,000 and, yeah. and, it, and it could go up from there. Yeah, it just, but that's not a not of money at all. Like, you know, everyone's gotta be writing books on the side. <laughs> right, oh. Right, in addition to their full-time career. There's no like, I'm going to quit to write my book and unless you have an inheritance of some sort. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that, I mean, is one of the things that I think a lot of people say is wrong with the industry in general. Like, it caters itself to people who either already have money or who have a partner who can sustain them. And this is another thing that my friend was saying. You know, one of the things that feels broken about the publishing industry is that, like, as a career writing just doesn't seem to be open to that many people because you have to be able mm -hmm. to spend long swaths of unpaid time writing which 
is difficult to do if you don't have family money. It's difficult to do if you have kids. It's difficult to do if you have, you know, maybe parents that you're taking care of. It's difficult to do if you need to work two shifts, you know, in order to to, right. to, to pay for your life. It's just, it's, it's difficult to do. Um, and, you know, a $10,000 advance is not necessarily going to help you do that because it, you only get that advance when the book is sold, which means you've already written the book. Right. So, um, so that is just something to note there. Uh, I will say what Bindery says um, in terms of other perks for the author is that you get guaranteed marketing by the tastemaker to their audience. And since we know only the largest influencers get to become these uh, these imprint publishers, then you know right from the start that you are going to be marketed to a pretty sizable audience and that audience is already prone to liking this person's suggestion so I will say that that is to me that's sort of akin to like um like I tend to like Reese Witherspoon's book club suggestions Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she's she's really in the pocket for me in terms of the the books that I like to read and so to me that's almost kind of the equivalent of getting that like Reese's book club seal because it's someone I already know I trust she's already got a built-in audience so it's like if I know that this influencer already recommends books that you know are similar to mine and her audience tends to buy them that is you know that that to me that feels like pretty pretty solid and I guess that's why then it makes sense that what I had initially understood the platform to be about is not the case it's not like an influencer is selecting a nobody who just has a proposal and not an actual book and like helping them get through the book writing process and get like no What's happening is the influencer is still getting pitched a book by someone who has an agent, which means they've probably already written their book, right? And the influencer can read it and can decide whether it is their taste and it is something that they think their community will like. Yeah. What's interesting to me about this is... You know, and and I don't. I actually don't follow any book talk influencers, um, and I don't get served book talk all that often. Um, and so, uh, but my t- my my understanding of a lot of these guys is that they are just, you know, regular schmegular folks who like to read. And so, picking a book to publish to me feels like a fairly different skill set. Mm-hmm. than reading books that you like, right? Because now we're talking about like, can you pick from a bunch of books, which one is not only going that you're going to like, but that's going to be somewhat commercially successful, which, you know, fe- feels like a skill set. I mean, it is a skill set. It's called editing. There are editors. This is what they do right. for a living. <laughs> you know, and when they get really good at it, they make a lot of money at it. Um, and I'm not suggesting that influencers can't do it. I'm just sort of curious, like how Binder is determining which influencers can do it. Because to me, it would not, I don't know that I would think it was just the person who had a big following, you know, like, Well, and so Bindery isn't setting up any of that infrastructure for the influencers. You know, like, will there be Bindery editors who help the influencer and their imprint? That's a good question. I would imagine that they would help them. But I did not see that explicitly stated anywhere. Because I think what they're trying to say is, look, influencers, like, you should come join us because we are giving you the ability to decide what books you publish, right? So I didn't, I, I'm sure maybe there is some help happening behind the scenes, but that isn't something that they stated explicitly. And I would just be curious, like, how how sure are you that these guys can pick a winner? You know, like, and maybe just the fact that they have the followings they have is is indication enough. Okay. Okay, I have a bunch of thoughts, but I don't want to derail us from our facts section. So you tell me whether I can just share my thoughts or whether you want to take us somewhere no, else first. Yeah. Let's hear your thoughts. Let's do it. Um, my first thought is that to the extent that BookTok influencers have actually had a meaningful, like, um, impact on book sales first of all i love i just love that book sales are up in a category like that that feels good mm-hmm. so to the extent that they've had a meaningful impact i do like the idea of like compensating them um mm-hmm. if they can manage to get people over so you know and i assume these book talk influencers it's not like this is their full-time job either although maybe it will would have to become that if they're now all of a sudden gonna have their own imprint um and so if it 
but assuming it's not their first time job, if this is just a way to, you know, give them some um, additional money for a service they're essentially providing, I am into that. Um, my second thought, and this is somewhat informed by a friend of mine who um, has put out some young adult novels, is, you know, I know she's shared that, um, and has said it's okay for me to share, that the marketing piece that publishing houses are responsible for can be really hit or miss. It kind of seems like marketing efforts from publishing houses, like, randomly work and randomly don't. And, you know, this might be a good thing that there are so many books getting published because there are more voices that are being heard. But the more books that are published and, you know, without a change in the marketing resources amongst publishing houses, then just like the less marketing power there is to make your book actually successful. Um, and I don't know, like, it doesn't seem like well, what's interesting is that Bindery may solve this problem if you actually have a built-in way of marketing your book, right? Like, you know that this influencer is going to talk about it, and presumably they're going to talk about it positively because it's their imprint. Right. And, and you know, to me, this is just another, like, it's like there are marketing channels for books that we know work. It 100% works if you put Oprah or Reese Witherspoon mm -hmm. on the front of your book. It works if you put your book in an airport bookstore on that shelf of like bestsellers. That works. It works if you if you end up on New York Times bestseller or, or Amazon best. Like there there are all these ways that like we know if you can get there, your book will sell. And so this feels like what Bindery is trying to do is create another pipeline. Like. Mm -hmm. Another pipeline for if you can make it here, we can guarantee you sales because of our influencers built in audience. Um, and that makes sense to me. What I think is interesting is Bindery has said, you know, it's part of their mission to um, really bring more marginalized authors and voices to the forefront, people who would not historically um potentially have a chance at the traditional model, either because their niche is so niche and, you know, the traditional publishers just aren't familiar with that niche or aren't aren't familiar with that audience or think that audience might be too risky, whatever, what have you. Now, they did not give examples of what this looks like on their site. So I'm trying to think of like, what niche is too niche? Like, I feel like, you know, people read all <laughs> sorts of things. So I don't know exactly what they mean by that. But they have said they're trying to go after, you know, more marginalized um, voices, which I think is, you know, laudable. Right. And I guess it makes sense for this type of model to do, because the idea is that the publisher and the audience are more closely connected, essentially. Yes, yes exactly. So you are... And some of the things I talk about is like one of your community perks if you're paying is that you get to be more involved in this process, right? So mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe the maybe the influencer will let you vote on the book or maybe the influencer will sort of like help you, you can be help them narrow it down. Like, okay, I've gotten it down to these three. One is about this, one is about this, one is about this. Which one do you like more? Um, I've, I saw on the site, the Bindery site, them saying things like you could weigh in on the design, the cover design of the book. So if you were sort of, if you felt like my subscription to this person helped bring this book forward and I got to help on the, the design of the cover and I got to be in the acknowledgments, whatever, maybe that means like for sure, I'm definitely gonna buy the book, right? Like once it comes out, I'm definitely gonna buy it because I was involved in it and I feel like I helped. Um, so, you know, which you just generally don't get to do when it comes to, traditional publishing well not only are you definitely going to buy the book you're probably going to like talk about it to other people you right know? yeah totally that's where i think this becomes more powerful is like the second order it's like second order promotion mm -hmm. that then mm -hmm. happens okay interesting interesting tell me what you think about as about all this as a prospective author well you know <clears throat> 
I will tell you what I think of it, but only after I tell you what my friend thinks, because I want to get to okay, some okay, of what okay, she okay. said. Okay. Oh, right. The investigative journalism. How, yes. could, I, how could I just gloss over that? Go ahead. Because yes. um, I thought she made some really, <clears throat> excuse me, some really great points. So the first thing I asked her was just generally how she felt about this model and about this idea that too many authors are being left behind. And so something like this is a good way to you know, uh, bring forward more marginalized voices. Um, Mm -hmm. She said she definitely agrees that really talented authors and stories are left behind by the industry. Um, Mm -hmm. And I will quote her here. She said, I absolutely think that who gets left behind or undersupported often falls along racial lines and other lines of marginalization, which speaks a lot to who the tastemakers and gatekeepers are in publishing, i.e. mostly cis white people. She also said there's a huge socioeconomic class aspect to this since, as we, you and I just spoke about, much of the upfront work of writing a book is unpaid labor. Basically, the writer has to take a gamble with their time and hope it pays off. And it mm-hmm. often doesn't. So she definitely agreed that there are a lot of people who are left behind, a lot of marginalized voices, um, and that it's really hard to, to sort of break into writing. Um, but she did say sort of like with that said, um, a lot of the tastemakers, quote unquote, book talk tastemakers, um, aren't that diverse, right? So she said, from what I've seen, the authors pushed by influencers, especially on TikTok, tend to be overwhelmingly white. So I really question any business model that claims it's going to address publishing's lack of diversity by investing more deeply into a system that already doesn't serve those goals which I thought was interesting and definitely not something that I had thought about, again, because I don't really pay that much attention to book talk and influencers of the, the book talk world. I, so I didn't know that they are disproportionately disproportionately white, right? And that a lot of the authors that they are focusing on are white. So her point is, if they're white and the authors they're focusing on are white, how are we how are we getting more diversity out of this right <laughs> like right. how is um so i did think that was an interesting point and one <clears throat> excuse me that i hadn't really thought about um and so i guess with that said to answer your question sort of like what i think about this as an author trying to break into this industry and get published in all of that i like the idea of giving these tastemakers a cut of the the proceeds, right? Because like they are mm-hmm. contributing to the industry. I think you could argue the biggest ones are already getting a cut of the proceeds because publishers are paying them to 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 mm-hmm. you know re- mm-hmm. review the books and everything everything else. But, you know, something a bit more direct. I think that that's an interesting model. I will also tell you that I wholeheartedly am hoping that my book gets picked up by one of the big 5. I'm not trying to get picked up by bindery unless I can't get picked up. (laughs) Um, And so I, what I like, I like it as an idea for a, um, as another option if you can't go the traditional route, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if I see its merits on its face as a true competitor to the traditional route, right? Like to me, if I can still get a five, uh, like a, a six figure advance, which, you know, these top, these big five often will give you and I can still get the marketing engine of one of these these big five I still feel like I'd prefer that to a bindery but if I couldn't I like that bindery exists as another option so I think it to me right now I don't know if they've spelled out the value prop enough that it feels like something you would do instead but it does feel like something you would do if you couldn't do the first route. That, right. That's sort of where it's landing right. for me. Uh, yeah. And I guess I, I'm also just going back even further and wondering how much of the draw there will be to this platform to begin with. Like is, is the appeal of being able to, right? Cause not all the influencers on the platform will actually get an imprint. Only nine will. Right. Mm, So Mm -hmm. what other like exclusive access or content are these like reviewers essentially or tastemakers going to be able to provide to cause someone to pay them for this subscription platform? I don't know. There's got to be something extra. I've never poked around like Patreon to see how much, you know, 
book reviewers or tastemakers in that world are like on there and creating content, exclusive content that people want. Maybe they're doing like reviews. There's probably podcast reviews. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. (laughs) Well, with that said, I think this is a great time to move into speculation because, you know, I, the question I have for you really is if we just think about the business model of this, do we think it makes sense? Because like, I think we both like the idea of influencers getting a bit of the take home if they're, if they're legitimately helping push these books. And I think we both like the idea of putting more marginalized voices out there and expanding the pie, broadening the pie. But does the business model make sense? The like, I'm paying you as an influencer, you're taking some of that money to print the book, that money then comes back to me in royalties. But but it feels a little, I don't know, somehow it feels a little convoluted to me, but does it make sense to Mm -hmm. you, I guess? Does it make sense? Well, I guess, okay, so the, I think the question I ask is like, what problem is Bindery trying to solve? It sounds like based on their stated mission, they're trying to solve this potentially a diversity issue, right? Or a lack of voices issue. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I guess the point is, I don't know, I, I don't know if the business model makes sense, but I also think it's like the whole thing, there's just a lot of pieces that feel disconnected to the problem it's trying to solve. Which, in your, for you, the main problem it's trying to solve is this marginalized voices problem. Well, that's what it sounded like to me. Do you disagree? Well, yeah. So here's the thing. I think that feels like part of the problem they're trying to solve. But when I go to their website, it feels like they spend way more time talking about the tastemakers. And so it feels like they're more concerned about these influencers getting their due for shaping. Getting their due. Okay. Okay, you know, so shaping go, the industry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, which then makes more sense. Okay, so then this could make more sense. All right, so actual problem is tastemakers are influencing, uh, influencing consumers to buy more books. They should get a greater cut of book sales than what is currently happening. And so we're doing that by creating this imprint. Okay, does this model make sense? See, and I think when you say it like that, to me, it sounds like they are adding in an extra step. It's kind of like you were just saying, it feels like they're adding in an Mm -hmm. extra step they don't need. Because if the whole Mm -hmm. thing that we're trying to do is give these influencers a bigger cut because of the work that they're doing, couldn't we just create an influencer agency or, you know, like I I agree to be these influencers agent. And then I go to Simon and Schuster and I say for every book that this person reps we want x percentage royalties like like basically you're the influencer's manager just like every other influence just like every other exactly and you start doing like you could even do like you know book collabs essentially like you know i've only done one celebrity collab in my life with minted but she got a percentage of every sale because she collabed on and that and that's a tried and true influencer model you do a collab you get a percentage so and you know it kind of feels like we moved all the way to giving these guys their own um, publishing imprint, which would be the equivalent of giving every influencer their own beauty brand. But not right. every you know influencer <laughs> needs their own beauty brand. Some of them are perfectly happy to get paid by brands and to do these little collabs and not have to deal with the entire like business of running a whole brand and running a publishing arm. You know, there's a there's a business to it. It just I wonder if we just like jumped farther than we needed yeah. to. Yeah. Okay. I think this is my ultimate take. I don't know if I would call, go so far as to call it my verdict, but depending on how cogent it sounds, it'll either be my verdict or it'll be <laughs> thoughts before my verdict. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Is the point of Bindery to create this subscription platform and that's, you know, it's going to be much bigger than just the nine imprints. If the point is really to create this subscription platform, then they should have probably just done that because like this imprint piece feels really complicated, Mm -hmm. right? And if not, if the point is really to set up this imprint stuff, then actually maybe an alternative business model makes more sense like the one we just discussed. Yeah, because I, I I think I'm I'm tending to agree with that because to me, one of the things that 
kept rubbing against my my gears was like the fact that in this subscription model, I have to give some of that money away. Mm-hmm. Like in subscription, paid subscription models already exist. These guys can make a Patreon. They can make a Substack, mm-hmm. right? And keep a really strong percentage of that money. Um, pretty much, you're, you know, the, the fees you're paying are fairly minimal on those sites. Um, so for them to instead come over to Bindery, it's like, I don't know that I understand why they would want to do it on Bindery, which is not established as a platform, when they could do it someplace that is established as a platform. It feels like the only reason they would do it is because of this publishing model, but the publishing model feels like not necess- not necessary if the goal right. is just to get these influencers more money. So it's almost like what I'd have to believe is that these influencers will be good editors and publishers, right? Like there's just right. some subset of these influencers that would be really good at that piece. And I I don't know if I have reason to believe that. I think about m- movie talk, which apparently people don't actually call it that. But there are people who, I don't know if you could serve videos from these people who review movies. I do. Nope. nope. Um, and, um, and they get paid by the studios to sometimes review movies or, or come to, you know, um, movie launches or whatever. Obviously not recently because everyone's on strike. Um, but again, to me, the equivalent would be if instead of just having these guys review movies, a startup said, we want you to m- make the movies or like choose the movies that get made. And that to me, sure, there could be merit in it. But I just would have to have way more faith in these people's ability to do that thing, which feels like a different skill set than watching a movie and commenting on it, you know? So I just, I don't know that I feel ready to make that leap, which I guess is sort of my final verdict. I like the idea of of broadening the pie. I like the idea of influencers getting paid for the work that they're doing and the value that they're bringing. I don't know if I have enough reason to believe that these influencers – should essentially take on the roles of editors and publishers. I just don't know if I have enough reason to believe that. Yeah, I think I'm with you. The last thing I'll say, though, is uh, if I do get around to writing my spy novel and it doesn't get picked up by another publishing house and Bindery ends up being a business that still exists, I'll be coming to you. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Ignore every critique we just made if Danny and I are coming to you to get published. Thank you. Okay, it's time for Judge and Jury, and if you're new here, this is the segment where we dive into recent news and ask whether this is a display of good or bad judgment. KJ, what are we talking about this week? Well, we're back into the world of the SAG strike because it turns out there are challengers to Fran Drescher. She is the president of SAG. She has a challenger, someone who has come out and said, I don't think you're doing a good job and I want to run against you. So this woman's name is Maya Gilbert Dunbar, Dunbar, um, and she's running along with her running mate, um, against Fran Drescher to be president of the union. Um, And she has argued that she thinks Fran has been too passive and that they need to be showing more urgency in restarting talks with the AMPTP. Her quote was, chain your asses up to the damn door of the Sherman Oaks building to show how serious you are. People can't afford this. Strikes were never meant to last months and months. An effective strike should be short and sweet. So she's essentially saying... Fran isn't doing a good job. We shouldn't still be out here. Um, You need to get it together. And in fact, you need to lose your job. I would like to take it from you. I'm curious, do you think this is good judgment in the midst of a strike to be saying that strike leadership is doing a bad job? I don't think it is in all cases bad to query the leadership or question the leadership, you know, of uh, a union in the midst of a strike, but it depends on what the critique is. And this particular critique, I think, is bad (laughs) Um, because you're basically saying you're basically you're admitting like we can't last this long. (laughs) We're in dire straits. We need a deal which is an admission that you are losing leverage, right? Like the only leverage 
the WGA has or SAG-AFTRA has in these strikes is a willingness and a passion to not stand down from their position. And like the the um, commitment to weathering the storm. If what if this person ends up winning and is now installed as the president, their their whole platform was we need this to end. Well, if you need it to end, like okay, the producers will make it end, but it's not going to be on your terms. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this doesn't make sense to me in terms of judgment. How yeah. About you? Completely agree. This feels like extremely bad judgment because one i mean obviously no one wants to be on strike no one goes on strike because they want to be on strike people go on strike because they want better more livable fairer wages and in, in, in working conditions that's what people are on strike for and to say like oh we're being too passive we're not showing enough urgency these folks have been striking you know picket lining protesting in the blazing los angeles sun for months what do you mean march up you know chain your asses to the sherman oaks building i mean that's essentially what they've been doing they've been shutting down productions all over there's no more way to get in the way right productions are shut down no one is acting no one is writing what are you talking about like we get it you don't want to be on strike nobody does but right this is what you do when the other side won't come to the table and We've seen and we've talked about on this show the demands that were made and what the AMPTP came back with. And they were not being reasonable. They, you know, like it seemed very clear to me they were not being reasonable in response to the demands and requests that were made. So this just feels it feels cheap. I, it, it feels like short sighted. And like you said, it undermines their position. I don't know why anyone in their union would vote for someone who has essentially said, if 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 I'm president, the strike ends today. Okay, well, the only right. way we all know how to make it in today, and that is to accept a deal right. nobody wants, right? right. Like, right. And so that's actually to my point of like saying, you know, I don't know that all criticisms always would be bad judgment. Like, if you truly felt that actually your president was the one being unreasonable, that like you were the unreasonable side of things, you know, and that actually there were concessions that most people in the union would be willing to make that for whatever reason aren't being offered, like that could be a good criticism and also could be a way that if then you were elected, you maybe could end the strike and people's lives would be better because they wouldn't be striking, right? But that's different than what's being said here. And this is worse. Yeah. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> All right, folks, that is it for this week. We hope you are loving the show. And if you are, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And be sure to follow us on social. I'm Danny underscore D underscore MC on TikTok. And KJ is I am underscore KJ Miller. And subscribe to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash NABP. You'll get an extra episode next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.